1: Today, I am excited to be talking to Sarah Payton to understand unconscious contracts and what those are and how they impact us. And Sarah Payton is a neuroscience educator whose goal is to help people understand the effects of relational trauma on their brain. And how do you use resonance to change and heal anxiety and depression? She is the author of a few books, including Your Resilience, um, Your Resonance Self, Guided Meditations and Exercises to Engage Your Brain's Capacity for Healing. She's also a certified nonviolent communication trainer um, with other it, very interesting interests. And I'm really excited to talk to Sarah because I love understanding that in many cases, what's going on with us around depression, anxiety, and all such things are not a sign of a character weakness or a flaw, but there's actually something going on in our brain and how it's been shaped or how we've shaped it. Um. And that there's something you can do about it. Anyway, welcome to Your Superpowered Mind, Sarah. Oh, Kristen, what a pleasure to be here. And you can't see me, but I've been nodding my head right along with you. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm always sure. I'm hoping I'm capturing the people and what they do. You never know. Yes,
0: Yes, and we have some shared interests in this idea that we get to transform and we get to discover our own superpowers.
1: Yes, I I do love that because I think so many people when they're struggling feel really like there's something wrong with them and that they just can't fix themselves. And what this is what I love so much about this more increased understanding about the brain and how it works is that well, obviously you get to explain it, but you know there's patterns and things that we can undo. Yes. But so my, the first thing I want to ask is my, the question I always ask, which is what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Well, my very first
0: effort to master my mind was the first book, the Your Resonance Self book, which you referenced. And it's all about the neuroscience of self-compassion. How, do, how does our understanding of trauma open the door to us to be able to heal? And I started traveling all over the world before the pandemic and talking to people and teaching this material. And we came up against this really interesting thing where people would refuse to have warmth for themselves out of integrity. I was Mm -hmm. like, integrity? What the heck? And so that led me to the work that's become the Your Resonant Self Workbook, The Work with Unconscious Contracts, where people say to themselves, I will not be warm with myself in order to make sure that I accompany my mother who was never warm with herself, for example. That's what it ends up being once you start to dig in. Or I will not be warm to myself in order to punish myself so that I become a good person, no matter the cost of myself. These are contracts we make when we're little kids. And we continue to try to live them out, and they do. Get in the way, as you might imagine, a little bit of our ability to be uh, really effective in our own minds.
1: Yes, I can imagine so, and I'm really excited to deep into to dig into this because I am noticing, you know, in my working with people too, how much they punish themselves, and so this is a really intriguing idea. We are going to take a quick break um, before we get into the conversation. I will let people know that they can find you and your books at Sarapayton.com. and I will put that in the notes also as well so people can go there and click on it, be taken there. And you can also go and check out Superpower Experts if you also wanna see some of our really cool community offerings, workshops, and programs that we have. Hang on, when we come back, we are going to be talking more About Unconscious Contracts. One minute.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today.
1: All right. Welcome back. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Sarah Payton. So, Sarah, so where do I even start with this? When you want people to understand unconscious contracts, you sort of uh, gave sort of the uh, vision of what people are sort of saying to themselves unconsciously, but how do we start to create these for ourselves? What a wonderful question. The way that we start to create
0: these is that we all have an amygdala, which is the center of emotional memory and of implicit memory, memory that we don't know we have. And so here we are, little beings, before the age of four months, these begin. You, This is the beautiful research of Beatrice Beebe out of New York City, She discovered that by the age of four months, a baby has limited their facial expression vocabulary just to what their mother can easily be with in a play situation. So as they enter a play situation, a little bit of social engagement, the baby stops making facial expressions that the mother cannot easily reflect. So for example, if we're under stress all over the world, people have a hard time reflecting sadness. If we're under stress all over the world, people have a hard time reflecting joy for their babies. It's like there's too much to do. We can't stop and play. And so the baby gives those things up. And and what we find is that as those babies grow up, they'll have a contract. They'll say, I believe that I'm too much. They don't say, I believe I'm too much. They say, I am too much. And I say, what if that's a belief? What if you're believing that for a very good reason? I swear to myself that I will believe I'm too much in order to, and then all of a sudden we're at this place where we're making sense of our families. We're like, oh, I will believe I'm too much in order to make sense of the way that I never really fit into my family. And that then speaks to us about our family, but it doesn't mean that we're actually too
1: much. Is this making sense, Kristen? It is making sense. It is making sense. And so what are some of the other beliefs that you find people start to form for themselves? Yeah, I am too much. I know a lot of people have that. Yes. Well, go ahead. Why don't you go? I'm not even going to (laughs) guess. I must never be angry. Mm -hmm. I must
0: never reveal my loneliness. I must never let anyone know I'm sad or let anyone see me, me cry. If I ever get angry, this is entirely different. If I ever get angry, I'm going to change it into grief and I'll cry when I'm mad instead of being able to just be angry. I will not be afraid or I will hate fear and I will have disgust and contempt for fear. All of these things come from these very early family culture and the whole way that our world of people can be with emotions With and how it's revealed even pre verbally in facial expressions.
1: That's crazy. And so, what do you say? You know, because I've heard that like children with depressed mothers, you know, that that actually makes uh, can make a pretty significant impact on them. Is that partly from this? I mean, I'm assuming, well, tell me a little bit more about that, if you will. Absolutely is from this. If our mom is depressed, if she has postnatal
0: depression, those four months after birth, right? If mom's depressed and is suffering from postnatal depression, her face stops moving. That's one of the things that happens with depression. So all of a sudden for the child, the child is incredibly left alone without any accompaniment because we're accompanying each other when we acknowledge each other's emotions. We're we're remedying loneliness when we acknowledge each other's emotions. So little ones are then faced with the experience of being terribly alone. And some of the most interesting research that's coming out right now shows research links between loneliness and depression that for many or possibly even most people, what's happening with depression is that we're supposed to have connections and accompaniment and we're supposed to be known and we're supposed to experience warm friendships and and warm relationships with our family. But how many of us really get to do that? That's a question for all of us.
1: Yeah. So what I'm... um with the loneliness and the depression what what often though i mean i've i've got a daughter who's still in high school and a couple in college and what i see among their age group a lot is a lot a lot of depression oh. in in their friends and their and they're not actually alone they have really good friends but they are then very depressed Oh, well, the kind of aloneness
0: that we're talking about, that is the aloneness that leads to depression, really comes from these early days. Mm. Really comes not so much from the friends we have now, but rather from the infant's experience that still lives on within us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I also just want to take a little bow to the pandemic for the last, you know, <laughs> these last years, the way that it's impacted people in terms of being able to feel themselves uh, in society, in connection, in easy connection with the world. It does have a little bit of an impact. But for those kids who have like all kinds of lovely friends now, we want to know whether they carry within themselves a little one. Who had who, who who didn't have a lot of responsiveness to their existence, mm-hmm. emotional responsiveness. Parents can be incredibly, incredibly sweet, incredibly responsive to physical needs, incredibly responsive to the needs for, you know, to be changed, to be fed, to have snaps at the right time, to be warm, to be cool. And the parents can at the same time not spend very much time sexually engaged with their baby, just kind of face to face. We see this, you know, when we're out now with young moms with their babies or young dads with their babies, mom and dad are on their phones. Mm. The little kids are like looking around at the world. Nobody's paying any attention to them. We're coming into a very strange time where part of what people will need to be healing from is from the way that media has impacted parenting for the last especially the last 10 to 20 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know it wasn't so much when um, my kids were little, maybe my youngest one who's 17 now, because there weren't even, I mean, I, the cell phone that I had that I had that I carried around was this huge (laughs) thing that I would talk in for work, but that was it. Yeah. Very interesting. So when you've got people Well, also, it just makes me sad to think about, I mean, all of the ways, I wish I could go back and parent again now, I have to say. I wish that too. You know, just with, there's so much more understanding of what's going on um, and all the ways, you know, when they're so needy and all the ways that, you know, unable to actually meet that and you know, feeling alone and wishing I could go back and do it all over again. But, oh, well, I guess a lot of people have that, I suspect. So I think every time we learn something new about parenting,
0: we wish we could go back and have another redo. Yeah. But what's so interesting that they're starting to learn now is that kids can be already anxious and depressed at age two. They can already be anxious and depressed. So if you're a person... Who's listening to this podcast, and and you're thinking, huh? I wonder about myself. I wonder if my anxiety or depression started so early. And just you can ask yourself and see how your body responds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's I know for sure that mine did mm-hmm. I was the stories about me is being at like two. And worrying about people, I didn't even know that they were going to step in front of cars. And oh
0: my goodness!
1: Yeah, that—that's how I got into coaching, is I had so much anxiety
0: and so um, and so much love.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: one yeah. of the things we sell ourselves short on is the enorm enormous capacity of our of our baby and toddler hearts. Yeah, so much love.
1: Yeah. Yeah, looking out for everybody. Wait, wait, don't get hurt. Yes, very much that feeling of that. So, when people come in to you or when you're working with them now, what kinds of things are going on in their lives that would make them start to say, oh, I need to look at unconscious contracts?
0: Well, if they find that they always do something or they never do something, that's usually a really good sign that we have an unconscious Mm -hmm. contract. So, if we're always late, then that might mean that we have an unconscious contract.
1: Okay. What kind kind of contract would that be, just out of curiosity?
0: One of the women that I worked with who was always late, when we started to work, she said, oh, my God, I remember actually making this agreement with myself. I remember making an agreement with myself never to be on time again after I was chewed out roundly by a a psychotherapist that I was seeing who analyzed me to death and told me all of my character flaws and said that that was why I was late. And I just had this enormous FU in response to authority. And I was like, I am never going to be on time again. Mm -hmm. And and we went in and we did a lovely time travel because that's one of the things that in so many different traditions, we see that time traveling to the younger self. And we did this lovely time travel to the younger self. We're like, of course, you're angry. Would you like a little acknowledgement that you you know that there's an entire constellation of manipulation and pressure that's happening for this teenager? Of course she's making a, an agreement with herself to try to find autonomy in the only way she can. She gets to actually exist if she's you know committing to being laid out all the time. And once the little one, the teenager felt that she had been fully understood, she relaxed and she was like well i guess i don't need to do this anymore now that we've got this understood which is such a fun way for people's lives to change
1: yes very much that is so so when people so like you know say there's something well what about around like somebody who's anxious who Ooh. is Quite anxious, always anxious, or something like that. What kind of exploration or questions do they ask themselves to start to unpeel that? Well, there are five main sort of channels that anxiety happens
0: on for humans. One of them is when we're afraid. So, if we're afraid about the future, or if we're afraid about people being in danger, as you were when you were tiny, um, then that's a. Those are fear contracts. I will always be afraid. In order to keep the world safe, mm-hmm. in order to keep the people I love safe, in order to be able to anticipate the bad or dangerous things that are going to happen and make sure that everybody everybody makes it through. So yep, that I'm one. gonna keep
1: watch. Yep, for I sure. sure. Yeah.
0: Yep. So do do we need to continue to carry that hypervigilance once we understand the purpose that it's serving?
1: We get to ask ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's one. The second big thing that happens with anxiety feels identical to fear anxiety, but um, is actually our loneliness anxiety, our experience of alarmed aloneness. So each of us uh, can have an upset nervous system state that's not fight, it's not anger, it's not flight, it's not fear. It's the upsetness that comes when somebody close to us is not with us if somebody dies, if somebody moves across the country, if there's a divorce, a separation, a loss of relationship, then we, our nervous systems can go into an alarm state that's not fear and isn't anger, but is what I call alarmed aloneness. And when we're in a state of alarmed aloneness, it's not something people talk about very much. So, we can't really get it resolved because we don't even know to talk about it. We can be in a state of alarmed aloneness for four, five, six decades. It can just be the the background uh, emotion of our lives, and that feels like anxiety to us. The third type of uh, of anxiety is when our health is out of balance, and and uh, and then our homeostasis, you know, isn't running right. And then we can have anxiety that comes just kind of from a purely neurophysiological experience of being out of balance. The fourth is when we are torn between two authorities. And this is a really interesting one. I grew up in a, in a very fundamentalist uh, uh, religious background, and, uh, and it had very different ideas about how you're supposed to live than modern culture. And one day I was reading about this kind of anxiety of being torn between two authorities. And I thought, heck, I'm torn between my original fundamentalist culture and the modern world. I'm completely torn. And I said, and I noticed that I had a contract to integrate these two impossible to integrate things within me. And I was like, wow, I can let go of that contract. I think my anxiety fell, you know, 30% with that one contract release. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we can have anxiety about having anxiety. Anxiety is so so difficult and hard on people that people can have contracts, both not to be anxious. And then they're breaking their contract not to be anxious because, of course, they're anxious. They haven't gotten to have the support that they need. And, and so then they have anxiousness about having broken their contracts and anxiousness about being anxious and anxious about anxiety attacks. And so it's all a, a big sort of tum- tumble, a big tangle of, mm-hmm. of emotion that needs to be held with a lot of care and named. And we get to say to ourselves, of course, honey,
1: Sarah, of course you have anxiety about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Yeah, that's so funny. So much of what the work, when I'm working with people, the one of the things where there's so much release is when you say exactly that's word, of course you're upset about this. Yes. And no wonder yeah. I'm upset about this. Yes,
0: exactly. That's exactly what resonance is. It's the experience of having somebody else give us a sense that they understand us and us saying, yes, yes, you understand me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what does that do? So resonance is a term that, you know, is in your book, I noticed, but we haven't been talking about it. What is resonance then? Resonance is exactly this. It's the experience of
0: moving into relationship with another person and saying to ourselves, "Oh yes, this other person does understand me."
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then what happens is the same thing that happens for babies with facial expressions. When the mom can actually mirror the facial expressions, the baby calms and new neurons are grown between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. One of the greatest signs of secure attachment is when people can say what they're feeling. If they can give words to emotions, And we learn to give words to emotions through relationships in which we are understood. So although it sounds so simple, it's one of the most profound paths to healing that we have for the healing of emotional trauma.
1: Wow. And so, and actually, this is just a totally random, random question. So say, for example, one of my daughters cried all the time. for two years and then we eventually figured out that she was was before pre dinosaur days when they didn't think about things like gluten intolerance but she was always having stomach aches now as a mom would it have helped her to mirror pain on her face or Um. to mirror calmness and being there just out of curiosity again out of curiosity Yeah, what we
0: see with the research is that the mom does a micro expression of, of course, like, of course, there's pain, honey, and then go to the calm and the, you know, taking care of. But Uh, yeah, so that micro moment, like a 13th of a second is all it takes mm -hmm. for the mom's facial expression to show that the baby's facial expression makes sense. It's registering.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so interesting. So is this is something then that you always need somebody else there to do for you, or is this something you can do for yourself? Well,
0: it depends on if there's anybody there. If there's somebody there, then they can be a very good resource. Mm -hmm. If there's nobody there or if we've had traumatic experiences with humans, then we can begin to do it for ourselves. And, uh, and we have to begin to do it for ourselves if humans are not trustworthy enough to let our bodies relax mm-hmm. and be in resonance with us. You know, we can, we, we can become very tense when people come close to us if we've had difficult experiences with humans. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wrote the books, was so that people would have an avenue. I try to imagine each of the books as kind of like arms that go around the reader and say to the reader, these very things that you just said, Kristen, of course you feel this way. No wonder you feel this way. Mm -hmm. And give the neuroscience of why we feel these ways. So so the books are my best effort to create a a resource that's not going to trigger people's trauma responses to human beings. Mm -hmm. Right, yes,
1: and some people pretty... You know, they have reason yes. <laughs> not to trust, right? Yes. Yeah. Very
0: good historical reasons. Yes, yes.
1: Yes. Yes. And then other people have no reason not to trust people and they still can't for what, again, for these old reasons, for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Well, well, I
0: I always think you know that we make sense, so it's yeah. never that it doesn't ha- that it happens for no reason.
1: No, but I mean, it like you wouldn't say it's the people who say, "Well, I didn't have anything happen to me." Right. right. You no. Know, Although, so the, the, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. You <laughs> know, I worked in a prison. I've worked in a prison as a volunteer for for about eight, fourteen years now, and one of my experiences been has been that when I first start working with somebody, they say, oh, I had a perfect childhood. I don't know why I'm in prison. And three years later, they go, well, you know, I was, I was sexually assaulted at the age of 12 and that's when I ended up doing heroin and my father threw me out of the house and I was living on the street. And you're like, three years ago, you told me that you didn't have, that your parents were perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now that we've had some time, you know, and you've started to learn about trauma. You, then people are able to say, "Yeah, some bad things happened to me." So there's a kind of a learning process about what a perfect family is. I think mm-hmm. that comes to to change people's uh, expression about having perfect families.
1: Yeah. So j- going, I'm um, going back a little bit. So when people have one of the types of anxiety that's around health. Yeah. You know, where they're neurologically or physiologically out of balance. What kind of contracts will people make around that? Just because, again, I know there's such a rise in autoimmunity, Yeah, Um, which is just makes no sense, feels to seems to make no sense. What right. kind of contracts do you have people have there? Well, my the way that I work uh, on a health level
0: is always to see how we might be self-sabotaging ourselves. Mm. And one of the things that we'll do is, um, is that we'll do things that we know are harmful for ourselves because they give us comfort. So um, a a person who's struggling with blood sugar, eating sugar, for example, Mm -hmm. or consuming glucose to try to balance out if, if, if that, if they have the type of diabetes that's sensitive to that. Um, or uh, sometimes people will, um, will, will, if they have chronic pain, they'll make a contract with themselves not to be in the present moment. And, mm-hmm. and so if they're not in the present moment, they're also not as good at taking care of themselves and tracking and figuring out and taking good steps and starting to do the remedying that's needed to support somebody who's living with chronic pain. Same thing with chronic fatigue. I will not live in the present moment stops people from being effective caretakers for themselves. Mm. That's kind of the area that I tend to work in with health and unconscious contracts.
1: Mm. And how do you go about starting to release these contracts? Well, it's quite simple.
0: One of the reasons that they're unconscious is because we know the first part. We know, like, I uh, I will eat sugar for comfort. And then, But the in order to, the deep in order to is not yet known. Mm. Or I will not live in the present moment. And then the in order to is something like in order to survive this unsurvivable pain, which begins to let us know the amount of agony that we've lived with. And once we start to capture and name the amount of agony that we've lived with, Then we can do the release process, which is Sarah's essential self. Do you like this contract? Is this a good, helpful contract for Sarah? Do you want her to keep it, or do you want something different
1: to happen? Yeah, so you make it conscious. Yep, that's right.
0: And then the essential self says, gosh, no. Don't need this contract anymore. This was really helpful when I was 10 years old and I was alone with the chronic pain. There was nobody to help me. I wasn't getting any kind of medical support. It was a very good contract then. Right now it's getting in my way and I release this contract and I revoke this vow. And then people give themselves blessings instead of these contracts. Like instead of this, I give you my blessing to tentatively begin to live in the present moment, and to notice when the pain is just too bad to be in the present moment and be kind and gentle with yourself in those times. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. And I guess one of the things, again, coming back to one of the first contracts you talked about had to do with how people are not going to be warm to myself, you know, to make sure I stay in line and do good things. Yeah, You know, one of the the questions that sometimes ask is like, have you punished yourself enough yet? Like at what point? Yeah. Right. But there's more. Is it it Mm -hmm. in that case, is it understanding what you're self punishing for to keep yourself from doing what that kind of thing? Well, it it depends on what people don't know. So,
0: you know, they could know that much. Like, I'm going to do this to punish myself. But then there's another deeper layer of in order to. You know, is it in order to make sure that my mom loves me?
1: Mm-hmm. Or is
0: it in order to be a good girl for my dad? Mm-hmm. Or is it so that my friends will actually accept me? You yeah. know, and there's so many ways that we're longing for belonging. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So, in order to fit in with my family, right? Whatever. Yeah. Oh, it's also interesting. It is. It's so interesting, Kristen. It's so interesting. It's just this huge puzzle we are that that can cause us so much distress to be in the middle of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we are getting close to um, the end of time. Is there something else that that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that you would want people to know? <laughs>
0: well, what I always want people to know is that if we're cruel to ourselves, it's not truth, it's
1: trauma. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it sounds like then it's a way to to find that understanding to start to release that trauma. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and to start to develop a little bit of healthy skepticism
1: about whether our
0: brain is telling us the truth when it tells us that we're horrible people. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Right, right.
0: Oh, oh, I wonder if I should be skeptical about this voice.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. It's crazy. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Mm. Can you remind people where they can find you and your books and all of that? Thank you so much, sarahpayton.com.
0: Uh, Or YourResonantSelf.com. If you go to the YourResonantSelf.com website, there are free uh, meditations for download from the books. So that's also a fun place to go. And then there's lots of online classes and opportunities to discover a little bit about how to do unconscious contract work and how, how to change the way we talk to ourselves and use resonant language instead of cruelty
1: yay that's lovely thank you so much oh thank you yeah doing this work and sharing it and putting it out there to Mm -hmm. help people get out of these cycles yes yes and listeners thank you so much for showing up for yourselves and being here and until next time go out and remember you do hold the power to transform yourself and your world